All right, what time is it? Running time. Running with War show on War Media broadcasting live to all our friends and followers on YouTube and on our uh, Twitter page at War Media. If you don't know, follow and get uh, all the latest updates on what we do at War Media, all our podcasts and our written posts and everything. And on YouTube, you get uh, can get you no know, follow all our series, our live streams as they come on. Get the uh, you know premiere, get the get the low on the premiere as they happen. So you can follow us and uh, you know feel free to chat on our. Uh, you know, on our pages and everything. Uh, if you feel like you want to join, you know, and enter the conversation with us, feel free. We got our guys here, Drew and Gabe, on at the top of the show. Uh, maybe we'll have Stephen uh, Gardner as well on with us. But uh, we're taking you up to the top of the hour and the top of the the. Uh, Western Conference Finals, game one, tipping off in San Francisco. And uh, it's going to be a pretty good series. You know, we are going to recap as well throughout this hour the the beginning of the Eastern Conference Finals, which occurred last night in Miami with uh, Miami taking a 1-0 lead on Boston. Uh, pre, uh, like I said, preview in the Western Conference tonight and uh, also get into the – uh, the the NBA draft lottery, a uh, little bit of a recap from that. Uh, that you know occurred just at the end. We had a show yesterday. If you missed it, uh, guys did a good job. Uh, and, the, and the draft lottery, you know, came about right at the end of the show, so the guys weren't able to get into that. But we're gonna do a little bit of that on this show as well, and uh, talk about uh, do a, we're gonna incorporate some Bulls talk in as well since uh, you know they have an 18th pick and. Uh, here in Chicago, you know, there's been some reporting already. It was some no, really not reporting, but pro- prognosticating already about what may happen with them in that 18th pick. And uh, you know as well, the uh, the draft, the combine is occurring currently at uh, Wintrust Arena, which is, you know, always interesting. But uh, as we start out, Drew and Cave, uh you know, let's let's say let's look back at the game from yesterday, and um, you know, Boston, you know, had a, a pretty good start to the game, uh, pretty you know, well in control for most of the first half, had about a, an eight point lead, I believe, heading into halftime, but everything just fell apart in that third quarter. There uh, it seemed like you know, not only does the crowd come back in uh, Miami at the third quarter, but the team does as well. And, uh, you know, the Heat took control of that second half and really uh, outplayed, you know, like I say, outplayed Boston. Jimmy Butler asserted himself once again, another uh, signature playoff performance for him. Uh, we'll get into some of the exact stats in a minute. But, uh, you know, Miami takes the, takes the lead in the series. They have home court, nothing out of the ordinary, but, you know, in, in observing the game, was there anything about the way that they did it that uh, surprised y'all or, or made any sort of particular statement for y'all? No, not at all. 
not at all. Because one thing about Miami, you know, as you alluded to, they've made the third quarter their ultimate quarter in these playoff runs, you know, dating back to the Philly series, especially with Jimmy Butler. Um, I was I was a little bit more surprised with how they came out at home, not seeking to set the tone. And I think um, in the third quarter, you saw them become more physical um, with Miami, taking away the paint, um, which is something that they gave up a lot, um, uh, you know, opportunities in the paint as well as in transition to open up the game in the first half. Uh, I, I thought the first 24 minutes, they, their defense just was, wasn't really there. And I thought Bam, you know, did a better job, you know, defensively. I thought Jimmy seeking to get into his sweet spots and operating as well as playing facilitator was, was key as well. But if you're Boston, this is a, this is a real tough loss, especially when you dominated and you won all three, you won three out of the four quarters and you were up, you know, going into the half, but to not be able to finish and get as lethargic as they did and offensively, you know, get careless with the basketball and whatnot. Um, you know, it's kind of disappointing, especially when you are able to have opportunity to win a game with Al Horford out as well as Marcus Smart. And um, we don't know what their yeah. status is game two at this moment, but, you know, anytime you can get a win on the road, you, you got to seize the moment. So that was a tough opportunity for Boston, um, you know, to let go down the drain. But I thought for the most part they played well and put themselves in position. But you got to give credit to Miami. They made that third quarter their quarter. And Jimmy Butler, you know, he may not be a top seven or ten player, but when it's the playoffs, um, you got to give him his credit. And he's a guy that gets overlooked so often because he's not flashy. And he doesn't put up, you know, these numbers that just wow you. But last night he did. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Um, everything, everything you said, Gabe. But I think if I'm if I'm Boston, I'm cautiously optimistic about how that game went. As you said, they won the rest of the, the rest of the three quarters. Uh, they won each of those quarters by at least um, three points. They were down Al Horford, down Marcus Smart. You know, you have two guys in, in Peyton Pritchard and um, Daniel Tice who played double the amount of time that they had played the whole entire playoffs. And while Pritchard especially didn't play poorly. He played really well at 18 points. I think he was a minus one um, in the 30 minutes that he played. Those are minutes that Marcus Smart would be getting. You know what I mean? Um, and even though Miami, they in that third quarter and the second half in general, they looked to kind of hunt him out uh, with Jimmy Butler uh, on him. They didn't. It, it really wasn't a, as much of a bloodbath as I've seen, kind of talked about on Twitter or just in, in um, you know, different pieces that were written on the game. Uh, so I, I think that, again, I say cautiously because we don't know how soon Horford can come back uh, or how effective Marcus Smart will be. But all Miami really did in, in the in the at the end of the day was protect home court, like you said to start off uh, what you were talking about, Gabe. So. Um, you know, there, there's still a lot to take away for um, the Celtics moving forward into game two. They just, they got to, you know, just pray that they can get their guys back, their main guys back, so that Miami doesn't have the opportunity to, to hunt Pritchard or, you know, uh, or Tice um, in these next uh, couple games. I agree with you there because uh, Pritchard was definitely getting hunted. And, you know, due to his size, mainly, he's a guy that, you know, he's hit some big shots for them in the playoffs. 
but a couple of other people were pointing this out on Twitter where I was talking with and I was watching what they were saying as the game was going along. You know, this is the time of the year where if you a small guard, no matter how great you are offensively, you can get exposed by a big by a bigger guard who's willing to put you on their block because the game is now um all about half court execution and operating and getting to your spot. Yeah, and you know, we, we don't know we know we all know Jimmy Butler's gonna get to the line, he's gonna uh, initiate the action, he's gonna force calls, but he has 17 points off free throws. So I mean I don't know if that's gonna that's a trend that's gonna continue. Um, you know, you would think that Boston, one of the better defensive teams all season long, you know, throughout these playoffs, they would do a better job of uh, guarding him without fouling. But again, some of that goes back to who's seeing the most amount of time on him or how often he can kind of headhunt certain guys um, in a half court. Yeah, looking at oh, – wow. Y'all hear me good? Yeah. Okay, I don't know if I'm, I got a little thing in here. I don't know. Not sound the same, but okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, looking at you know, looking at the contributions yesterday, it's pretty interesting. Like Boston, you look at Pritchard stepping up with what he provided. You know, they didn't get all the the contributions that they may have wanted, but they got enough. It looked like given the games that. You know, both uh, you know their uh, their big guys had their big two, and you know Pritchard, and you know just it, you know Robert Williams had a nice game, uh, near double uh, near double double, you know Daniel Thice uh, had some had some you know pro- produce well, uh, in in his t- in his time, but like I say, you miss you missing you know you miss a lot when you when you do when you don't have Horford. And um, and smart, but like like you say, Drew. Outside of that one disastrous quarter, they outplayed the Heat uh, in the other three quarters. You know, but you know, looking at Miami, I'm a little bit more. You know, this this part this part of the issue I've had with Miami, you know, uh, throughout the years that you know who is going to step up for them in the postseason. And you know it, it, they had some, they had some, you know, hero and Vincent did all right. But I think uh, are they going to be able to rely on Butler having these type of games, you know, throughout this series and the rest of the playoffs? It seems they could be running into a wall like they did in the bubble with when it was like he was superhuman, but they didn't just they just didn't get enough, you know. Uh, for the rest of their squad, and looking at Butler's numbers, he uh, he had an unprecedented game: uh, forty-one nine rebound, forty-one points, game high, of course, nine rebounds. What is this on my screen? Blocking my uh, view. Um, we got from nine rebounds, five assists, and my fault. I'm trying to. Look at this one spot, and something is black on my view. Uh, okay, five, yeah, five rebounds, four uh, steals, and three blocks. And StatMuse cites that as the first performance of its kind in playoff history. Uh, you know, since steals and blocks were first recorded in 1974. So, you know, a performance like that, can you rely on that for seven games or even four games? Of Jimmy, but you no, know, but we have seen Jim. Jimmy steps up his game regularly in the postseason. 
But is, is that a worry for Miami in, in any type of way? I don't think so. I mean, that's what you paid him to do when he, when you signed him. Um, one thing we all know about Jimmy Butler, you know, he plays to win when the chips are on the line. Um, and I'm not the type of dude that think that Jimmy Butler don't care about the regular season um, because he's shown in the regular season that he can put up those same caliber numbers. You just don't see it from him all the time. And even when you do, you don't see him do it in a way that's loud, that stands out to you. So that's why I don't think he gets a lot of the credit that he really deserves until playoff time when all of the eyes across the country are on him in his game. Um, I thought Gabe Vincent has, has played well last night, and I think he's been incredible throughout their whole entire playoff run. Because if you don't have Gabe Vincent with Kyle Lowry down, oh, man, I I, I don't know where, where Miami would be without him and his services. They've been able to get timely help from guys when they need it. I thought P.J. Tucker um, last night was was good, you know, offensively as well as defensively coming up in big moments. Max Shrews, you know, being – I never knew him as a defender when he was in college. You know, the, the way that he's been able to go down there in Miami, get himself in tip-top shape and evolve into a 3-and-D guy in the league, um, that says a lot. I think the, the guy that really is the X factor for them, in my opinion, as great as he is, and I think he's the one of the best defenders in the league, if not the best defender in the league, but they need more from him offensively going forward in these playoffs if they want to go and get that gold ball is and that's Bam out of bio. Um I thought Bam yeah. you know could have played a, a much better first half. Yeah he stepped up defensively but I think he's gonna have to start inserting his will and being more aggressive on the offensive end to kind of um relieve you know some pressure off of Jimmy going forward in this series. But do I think Jimmy can do that every night? No because three blocks for a guard that you don't see that too often. And I doubt that it happen again as great as he is defensively. But I think Jimmy is definitely capable of, you know, having some 30-pointers here and there. In my opinion, I mean, besides maybe Luka, you could say that he's the best player in these playoffs still standing. Right quick, I just, to, like I said, to clarify a little bit more, I think, yeah, I I, I still worry, though, because like like you say, they need someone to have uh like the timeliness is important, like you said, Gabe, and the way that they, they get their guys to come you know to contribute, especially point wise. But I think, you know, who's gonna have that other 30 point game for Miami? Is you know they maybe they won't even need it, but you know, you know, unless unless Jimmy is averaging maybe 30, 35. You know, they may they may need some sort of outsized contribution for someone like at least in one game or so that could carry them or be sort of an unexpected thing that throws Boston out of whack because Boston should be able to continue doing what it wants to do at least game plan wise on defense. They may not execute as well as they want to every time, but they can. I don't see why they would need to go out of they to defend Miami when, you know, the only guy you could really worry about hitting you with 30 or 30 plus is Jimmy. So that's all I'm saying about that. Harrow could do it. Yeah. Harrow is a wild card. Yeah, he guy. can. He's a herky-jerky guy. But then when you're talking about 30 with a team like Miami, it's got to be like strength and numbers. Sometimes you could get 30 
and get it, you know, 10 apiece between three guys. You know, that that's the that's the one thing that stood out to me last night was in spite of all the injuries that Miami is dealing with right now, they still got guys stepping up and contributing. You know, like they, they do what gotta be done. I, I don't even, in my opinion, I think Boston's gonna win the series in six games. But they, the fact that they still got a chance and they showed that last night in the third quarter, you know, that's – you got to tip your cap to them. With a hell of a three-point shooter just buried on the bench. Yeah. The 90 million. Getting paid 90 million, not even playing. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, – to, to your point, I think Bam has to be that guy. It, it, it's funny because we talk about, like, young big men. I think I would definitely put him in a tier ahead of um, Jaron Jackson Jr. But at least with Triple J, like he looks for his offense. Maybe it's 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 a uh, it's um a consequence of the system they run or the team that they're on the teams that they're on. But Triple J like looks for his offense more. And although he's kind of um, OC at times, like he catches and he's his first thought is how can I how can I get this shot off or um, you know, how can I get to the rim? Whereas Bam, he looks – it almost like he, he wants to defer first. Um, and then if nothing else is there, then he'll try to go get a bucket. But I think he would do well for himself, and he would alleviate a lot of pressure off of Butler and also, you know, mitigate Kyle Lowry not being here or not – however many games he's able to play. Like, that would go a long way, especially in terms of establishing some sort of, like, post-presence. Um, not saying he's like the next coming of Akeem Olajuwon, but um, he can be effective down there in the right spots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y'all got you guys got any other thoughts on the get on that game or that series um, as it uh, turns around to game two? Just for Boston, you know, taking better care of basketball. You know, when you when you you know, Spolstra is gonna always seek to go to that two three zone. You got to find a way to move the ball around. I think they settled far too much in that third quarter, and I think they got real lazy and lethargic. And they got to bring that energy as they did in the first quarter. You know, I, I felt like they put a game together where they really should have won the game. And that, that was a game they let get away. Yeah, they should be cautiously optimistic, as Drew said. There's nothing to be down about. It's only one game. But at the same time, this is a team that has shown um, a, a, a huge amount of growth. And they got another opportunity to do that tomorrow night after, you know, putting up a very bad quarter in the third quarter that really cost them the game. Yeah, and at the same time, you got to expect that Coach Spo and just the Heat in general um, are going to come out more like they did in that second half of game one. Mm-hmm. Um, when is that tomorrow? You know, I don't think they'll be pushed back on their heels so much um like they were in the first quarter and that being said they're only down three at the end of the first quarter so it when you as i was watching the game in the first quarter it seemed like boston should have been up by more than they were um so it's just one of those it's 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 it's, um it's entertaining it's one of those series where i feel like you know a play here or there can swing it um in either team's direction uh kind of like how this western conference series is, is shaping up to be as well so we as basketball fans, we kind of lucky to be where we are, even though before the season started and throughout the season, I think a lot of us, myself included, wanted to see Phoenix and, and Golden State go head to head. Can't be mad at all of what's actually happened. All right. 
we gonna talk about the that west west uh, side Western Conference battle coming up in a bit, but uh, do a couple of do a couple of uh, segments or topics on the younger guys in the game. Uh, you know, first the uh, uh, you know from yesterday we had the uh, the, the lottery, but then uh, I'm, before we get into that. Uh, we actually got some breaking stuff that came in uh, with the the announcements of the rookie teams, and uh, we try to get that up. If you guys got it as well, feel free. But uh, yeah. I know uh, Io did make it for the Bulls, mm. and uh, let's see, they put them up on the Turner. When they are on the on the pregame there, but uh, give me a second here. I see the All NBA first team was um, you had uh, Franz. Go ahead, name it off. Yeah, Franz Wagner from the Magic, Jalen Green. From the Rockets, Evan Mobley of the Cavaliers, Scotty Barnes um, from the Toronto Raptors. That makes up the All NBA, um, All NBA rookie first team. And then to the second team, Bones Highland made it um, from Denver. And I'm seeking to see who else joins him on that list because I see the Nuggets I, I, released a piece on it. Yeah, we wait. I got it in front of me. Uh, yeah, that second okay. team, Bones Highland, like you say, Io. Uh, Chris Duarte, uh, Josh, uh, that's Indiana, uh, Josh Giddy from Oklahoma City, and Herbert Jones from New Orleans. So, uh, yeah, pretty, uh, you know, uh, pretty nice group there. I don't know if there's any obvious arguments or anything there. Um, the rookie, the rookie, the rookie of the year hasn't been not been announced yet, has it? Yeah, Scotty won. Scotty won. Scotty did. Okay. Okay, that was good. There we go. It was a little wild, that. But Scotty, yeah, yeah. I don't think nobody argued with Scotty winning, and uh, of course, he makes the first team as well. And uh, you know, any any anything that jump out at y'all in regards to those two teams? There, I think you know, as a primarily from a Chicago point of view, you know, we would. Pretty glad to see Io on the team. You know, definitely deserving. Uh, you know, pretty pretty hard to break that first line given the contributions that those particular players were able to make. They were these were all guys who you know played on teams that you know they where they needed to do more for the most part, and they pretty much you know contributed more uh, overall to their team. But you know, still when you look at uh, the second teams definitely, you know, whether it's Duarte in the shooting or Gideon is playmaking, you know, Highland as well. And Herbert Jones really toward the end of the season really got uh you know with New Orleans in the in the big games that they were able to play, you know, trying to get into the play in and getting into the playoffs really showed off his versatility and skills especially on the defensive side. You know, uh you know a lot of times, you know, people talk about what hands the game is in. The game is in good hands with these young players. And I think this is another group 
of guys who came in this year who uh you know made a, a nice impact. Yeah, just looking at these two teams and these these ten players, you wonder if if there's ever a, a season to come where you see Io, Herbert Jones, and Evan Mobley make the the all defensive teams. Um, yeah. The way these guys play D and uh, the way that they help their teams because of the way they play defense. Um, probably a long shot to see all three of them make. Uh, what is it? Two teams or is it three all defensive teams? It's two. It's two. Yeah. See, that's that's tough. You only got ten players in those spots, but um, just the contributions those guys made to to playoff contending teams is uh, pretty pretty outstanding. I agree. Um, I, I think Evan Mobley actually has a legitimate shot of making um, all defensive second team this year as a rookie, which would be a, a magnificent accomplishment because he'd be the first rookie since Tim Duncan um, to make a, a all defensive team. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing being released next is, is that should be coming out in the coming days because it, it hasn't come up um, yet. But I think Evan Mobley has a very strong case, you know, and in my opinion, he was one of the main reasons why Cleveland was a top five defense for most of the year. And, you know, you look at, um, I believe the top four defensive teams in the league are still standing in the conference finals right now um, based off of, uh, defensive efficiency. And, you know, Cleveland was right there. And maybe had it not been for some key injuries, you know, late, they might have not even been uh, a play-in team. You know, they might have been able to get one of those um, final, you know, seeds within, you know, from four through six where they were at for, you know, the majority of the year. But I, I, I like the rookie class this year. I think they got a chance to do something even bigger and better. Um, I can't really argue with those 10 guys that got selected for the first and second team. Um, I know Jalen Green's spot was kind of in question a little bit, but I think he closed out the year fairly well um, and, and really started to pick up and find his game. I think Kay did as well, too, um, with an open floor. So many questions around him when he was at Oklahoma State. That was a guy I never worried about because he just needed space to operate. And uh, I'm interested to see what they build around him in Detroit, um, another team in the Central Division that's going to be competing with the Bulls in the next couple of years. And, and seeing what Troy does in regards to building that team out. Yeah, man. Um, and again, just putting back more of the Chicago focus, man. Just we've been talking about it all year, but for for Io to go from 38th pick to now one of the 10 best players. It, it reminds me of the night he was drafted, and and one of the first things him saying was that he didn't think there were 37 players better than him in the draft, and now he can officially say that there definitely were not 37 players better than him. Um, you know, I, I know that he didn't – he's not Superman. He's not Mr. Invincible, so he wasn't able to give the Bulls everything that they needed for a roster that we ended up – finding out or maybe we knew all along that was that had his had his flaws but the way he came in and stepped in and started 40 games and played the fourth more, most minutes on the team behind Zach and Vooch and DeMar like you can't ask for much more you can't ask for much more and with the work ethic that he appears to have the drive that he has um he's self-motivated sky's the limit for this guy um you know if it, if it had if it hadn't been for or if it wasn't for the team's uh guard room being so 
injury prone or I don't want to say injury prone because because Zach for a long time was doing pretty well for himself. But if it wasn't for that, you know, uh, Lonzo and, and Zach being hurt and Caruso, the style of style of his play, I don't think the Bulls would be thinking twice about Kobe White, whereas now because of the injuries and because he is, you know, still theoretically what this team needs off the bench in terms of his three-point shooting prowess coming off a season where he just shot a career high from three, a career high at the rim. I don't think that, you know, they can so easily brush him off in terms of trying to flip him for something else that the team needs. Like, we'll see where it goes, but, you know, hats off to Io, man. That was a hell of a season. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. And they might, and they're gonna need some more IO. They they might need some more IO after that news with Lonzo, which you know, hopefully, you know, it's still an early off season, and you and you hope you know the news gets better because he's such a big key. But if if you know, depending on how that situation goes, and, and if IO continues to improve and ascend upon this you know level of play that he showed this year, you might be looking at the future starting point guard of the Chicago Bulls. You never know. True. Yeah. That yeah, that's that's uh, you know, the possibilities are there, Dave. And you know, going back again to what you said, uh, you know, the whole story drew with him having to come in as a second rounder and having that confidence and that belief in himself. And you know, there was thirty, you know, there were thirty guys, thirty plus guys who had a chance to make one of these teams to get one of these ten spots and. You know, he overtook, you know, the majority of them to get in there, to get in there in that second team. So definitely it shows you uh, fortitude that uh, that Io has, and uh, it's a, definitely a great start to his career. And, uh, you know, the Bulls made a – Bulls made, got a diamond in the rough, as it were. And uh, a lot of teams are going to be looking for a similar situation in uh, this upcoming draft in June. And as uh, we uh, take it to – a uh, quick look at the, uh, you know, the, the the lottery as it unfolded last night. Uh, of course, uh, the number one pick uh, goes to Orlando, and uh, you, you know you have a uh, Orlando, I believe, uh, OKC, uh, Houston, and uh, uh, what was the number four spot? Sacramento. Uh, Sacramento, yeah, Sacramento in that top four. Uh, extending to uh, uh, the top five with uh, – <laughs> what was that game? Detroit. I'm looking at this. Detroit. There you go. Uh, so, so, you know, a lot of teams who were up high, we, we've been sort of getting used to seeing them up high in the draft in recent years. But some, some interesting situations that could, you know, as far as – talent matching with team that could occur you know if, if you know given you know this given the draft that and, and the talent that's in the draft this year uh you know some, there could be some interesting fits that occur you know, i'm looking at uh looking at our guy uh ricky o'donnell he had uh you know we looking at one of his uh Post from from Twitter today. He he listed a few fits of his favorite fits in his mock draft, which is uh, definitely recommend looking on SB Nation. Uh, 
You know, he, he listed uh, Paulo Banchero to the Magic, Chet Holmgren to OKC, and a little further down, some some guys of note, you know, maybe a Mark Williams to the Hornets and uh, EJ Liddell to the Bucks. And um, that's around – now you're getting around to the Bulls spot too. We talk about the Bucks spot. Uh, the Bulls going to have a spot at 18. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, as far as the top spots go with the top team, Gabe, I'll let you, you go off with this because I know you pay a good attention to the college rankings. Uh, you know, college ranks, I should say. You know, where do you, where do you, what, what sort of jumps out at you and what sort of player team matchups potentially do you see as uh, possibly making this draft, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, a potentially special one? I mean, when I look at the top three guys in this class, whether it's Jabari Smith, um, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, I feel like they fit on any one of those three teams with the top three picks, Orlando, whether it's Orlando, Oklahoma City, or Houston. Um, when you have the top three pick in a draft, I mean, you could pretty much go um, with the best player available, but I think either all three of those guys could fit in any on any three of those teams. Like you put, like Orlando to me, when I look at Orlando, they don't have a guy who their offense is really predicated around right now. So getting a guy like Paulo Bancaro would make a ton of sense because they don't really have a true number one option within their offense. I think their leading scorer last year might have been like Cole Anthony, but he struggled, you know, in route to getting like 16 a night. I think he might have shot like under 40 from the field. So, and then, you know, Wendell Carter was like one of their top three options and Mo Bamba. And I, I like Mo Bamba and I'm glad that they gave him a chance to finally get some minutes after like having him on the bench for so long throughout his rookie deal. But I, I could see Paulo going number one um, with Orlando, who in my opinion was the biggest winner to draft. And the reason why I say they were the biggest winner is because typically if you look over the course of the years of the Magic's franchise history, which is relatively young, um, they never miss with a number one pick, whether it was Shaq, yeah. you know, and then they got Chris Webber, which they were able to convert into Penny. They got to a finals with Penny and Shaq. Then, you know, in 04, um, after getting back-to-back pick, number one overall picks in 92, 94, you get Dwight Howard, who ends up yeah. leading you to the finals. The only thing they haven't done is win a gold ball with their guys, but they've had some iconic players in their relatively short history. So I think if they're able to hit with this pick, and it, it wouldn't bother me. Like, they could go any direction, but if, in my opinion, like, if, yeah, Paulo would make a lot of sense, especially when you're – trying to get the best player available and you really don't have too much life in your franchise and you need a viable guy that you can sell in that market to your fan base. And uh, I think he checks the boxes in that regard. Yeah. The magic got a good, they're in a good position. Cause like you said, there's sort of, there's a nice interchangeable aspect to that top three. And if you look, if you're the magic, you pretty much are filling out, uh, what's already a pretty promising young front court already, if you know whichever direction you go with that top three, you just are going to be sort of getting different things from those players. Banchero is more of a uh, you know all around you know number one score type. Jabari Smith is you know everybody talks about his his range that he provides both literally and figuratively. You know his length and his uh, his ability to shoot from long range from three point range. 
And Holmgren, of course, is just the sort of physical freak. You know, everybody worries about his his weight, but he's you know incredible incredible length. Of course, he's 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 going to be able to protect your room, and he can he can do so many things as he you know he's again of his age. He's he, you know he does these guard like things. You know, as a seven footer, he's you know the, sort of a, a unicorn type. But uh, you know, yeah, I, Magic definitely in a good spot. And, and and again, the Thunder and Rockets probably are too, because you know what you're getting is you're getting that front line talent and guys who can contribute right away. If you know in any of those spots, like and you know going back to to Ricky O'Donnell's mock. He has the Rockets getting Jabari at three, and you mentioned in our uh, our text chain or, or our, you know our inbox chain on uh, on Twitter, uh, Gabe, that that's the first mock that you've seen Jabari at, outside of number one. But you know, knowing your knowing your you know your history with Houston, your you know the way that you you know you followed them, you've written about them and everything. Do you think that that could be? An even better spot for for Jabari at, in Houston as opposed to uh, Orlando or uh, Oklahoma. I think I think Jabari fits in any one of those three slots. You know, um, mm. whether it's Orlando, OKC, or Houston. I, I don't think if you're the Rockets, I don't think the Rockets would complain at all about getting a guy like Jabari Smith um, if he was on the board. Uh, and OKC not only has the number two overall pick, but they also have the number twelve pick. So to be able to get two lottery picks on top of an assortment of other lottery picks that they own it for like the foreseeable future this is pretty good right now to be an oklahoma city fan and follow drafts in college basketball so um but hey, you talking about you talking about a good draft record too that side cut yeah, out but with Sam Sam Preston, Preston. yeah, yeah. yeah with, <laughs> and, and i know he lives for these type of moments and that's an organization i follow closely as well with them being a, a main rival of houston for so many years but it's still now in the southwest division but Houston, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they could go they could go with Jabari Smith, and I don't think they would be disappointed. However, after reading what Rafael Stone was talking about in regards to, like, seeking to get the best player available on the board, um, getting somebody that's versatile, that has a very high ceiling, um, he sounds like a guy who is really, really adamant about doing whatever it takes to land Paulo Bancaro. I just, I just really think that's the guy that he wants. Um, he's a guy that has Seattle ties, similar to Rafael Stone, whose father played basketball at the University of Washington, similar to also to Kevin Porter Jr., who both of them have a real good rapport and relationship with one another. He's always talking about how he's been a big KPJ fan, Paulo and stuff. So it sounds like that's a guy that he might seek to go and get. And one thing to keep in mind, remember last year the Rockets had the number two pick in the draft and they selected Jalen Green. But prior to a couple of days prior to the draft, Rafael Stone was trying to make a trade with Detroit to get the number one pick. I would not be shocked at all, depending on what direction Orlando decides to do. Maybe, just maybe, if Rafael tries to sneak into number two. Okay. Yeah, I think. Um, Go ahead, Drew. No, no, I was going to say one one other winner. Uh, that I see is, is New Orleans, a team that is picking eighth, but because of the players that they already have in their rosters, the McCullums, the Williamsons, and the and the Brandon Ingrams, they're not looking for a 
a world beater of a player. They just need somebody to come in and, and fit a role. Um, so I think for them to to do what they did at the end of this season and to push to have pushed Phoenix the way they did and now wind up uh, foreseeably with the eighth best player in this draft, they're sitting pretty. On the flip side of that, big market teams took an L, man. The 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 Knicks, <laughs> the Knicks and the Lakers, man, teams that can use all the help they can get. Um, setting aside whatever probabilities that these teams had of getting into that top three. Um, you know, you can also throw Portland in there. I think Damian Lillard's reaction to him and the Blazers getting the seventh pick kind of says it all. Yeah, and it, you know, I, I got I got a post from CBS Sports that's it's, it's all about Damian Lillard and that reaction. And that is, yeah, it, it's tough when you're the – Especially with the history that Lillard has of, of him and everybody in the league almost wanting him to to break away from Portland, but he's he's sitting there representing the team once again in the draft lottery, and you know there's a there's a whole blindness that comes out of there because not only were you know they they end up it, it's it was very Bulls like actually because they they hit that seven like the Bulls have done did so many times recently mm -hmm. and they were actually uh came in with the sixth best odds to hit number one so they fell back and you know i'm glad you brought that up too because that's just what i was gonna go to with the losers and you know the knicks always fall, find some way to fall back in the lottery <laughs> that's no, that's just their history and uh you know it's it's it's, it's rough man to, you know to have that sort of hope and year after year, and you know, like I say, God knows we know what it was like in Chicago for a long time. It's pretty good to have to sit out that whole process from from that point of view uh, for at least a year or so, and <laughs> not have to deal with it. But uh, yeah, no. Again, looking at the mocks, there are some potential guys. There's some talent to be had in that, you know, and and lower in that lottery and. You know, looking at that eight spot, like you say, Drew, you know, for a team like New Orleans, you know, uh, Ricky has them getting possibly Keegan Murray from Iowa. And, you know, he is a very explosive player. That's where he has him at number eight. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see. I, I mean, he could go anywhere between four to eight. I could see that. But it's funny since we're talking about Keegan Murray, the, the team to me that really should pounce on him is Sacramento. Mm. They need a wing so bad. And he, he checks the boxes. He can shoot. He can defend. Sacramento got one of the worst defense in the league. <laughs> it's, it's a fact. I mean, like a couple years ago, they like historically were like one of the worst all-time defenses in league history. Like they they need a guy like that. You pair him with Sabonis. And, and and De'Aaron Fox and to me they were a big winner because they already got some talent there. If they just, I mean, my only question is, are you gonna go best player available? Or are you gonna go with fit? If they go best player available, more than likely you taking Jay Ivey. I just don't think he fits there. Yeah. You know, to me, Jay Ivey's a Detroit guy in my opinion. I, I would prefer to see him in Detroit next to Kate. And we we went over that too a little bit in private. Like, the, mm -hmm. there may be a possibility for teams to to run at. Sacramento and try to get in that four spot, so they may be able to leverage that four spot. Maybe trade down a little bit, get a little bit more value 
for their pick. And, uh, you know, but they may be able to take advantage of other teams who may be thirsty looking for Ivy, who, who's, you know, really rocking it up the, the draft ladder uh, with his great year at Purdue. And, and there's a, like, there's, there's a little bit of the unknown there because he had, he did have just the one year, but he's, he's very athletically gifted. That's obvious, but you know, will that translate to the league? This to be seen. I'm interested too in the Kentucky kid sharp. Cause I didn't know that he didn't play at all for, for Kentucky this year. He, he just got into Kentucky in the, in the winter mm-hmm. semester. And, you know, he was, you know, didn't play, any of the games, though, he was, I guess he was on the team, but he didn't play. But he declared for the draft still, even though he didn't play. He was, he was supposed to be actually in this coming uh, high school class. And he, yeah. you know, moved up and uh, did all this. And But, though know, people are looking at him still as a top uh, five or ten pick, uh, definitely a lottery pick, as it were. So there's a bit of the – there's a lot of the unknown there, but the kid is – you know, apparently that good to be looked at at, at that uh, that high. So you know, there'll be there'll be some gambling being done uh, in in the in the uh, lottery as well. Sort of similar to the story of Enes Cantor when he was in Kentucky. That was another guy that mm-hmm. was a, a Kentucky guy that never played a game in Kentucky and um, was able to you know take advantage of the process of practicing with him and then ended up getting picked top five. I don't think Shay Sharp will get picked top five, but he's a guy that I could see going eight to New Orleans. I mean, and I'm not knocking uh, Ricky for saying Keegan Murray to New Orleans just for the simple fact, if I'm New Orleans, yeah, and I'm Trajan Langdon in that front office, I'm looking for a shooter. And Keegan Murray is that type of guy, but I just think when you got a guy like Trey Murphy in the mix at the wing, I I would think that they would try and go more for um, a two-guard or maybe a one-guard to pair with um, CJ in that backcourt. Because I feel like from the from a front court perspective, New Orleans is solid. You know, they, they're pretty deep in the front court, you know, with B.I. And, and Jackson Hayes and all those young guys and Herb and, and, and uh, Valanchunas and so forth. Keegan could fit there, but I just – it's just it's, – it's, it's a lot of – it's cramming. It's crammed up. I, I just feel <coughs> like Keegan to Sacramento makes a lot of sense. To me, a big another big loser in the draft lottery was really Indiana. To not get a top five pick – um after the year that they posted especially when they haven't had a top three i don't think the pace have had a top three pick since rick smiths when they drafted rick smiths and that's like 1990 that goes to show you how dominant in a a first class organization they managed to be in spite of not winning a championship competing year in a year out in the east yeah definitely definitely they've indiana has competed more often than not but it, it's there's there's a certain class of teams too. Like I, I sort of look at them in Portland as mirror franchises, where they more years than not they compete, but they mm-hmm. can't seem to break into that upper tier. They they have to they have to do most of everything homegrown, and they and you never see, you know, outside of like you know, you, know, you never see like you say Indiana in that top three. You don't see them. Portland has been there a couple times, but both times, you know, famously didn't work for them when they got, you know, uh, when they got uh, uh, Lamar, Sam Bowie, and uh, in the '84 draft, yeah, and when they got uh, Greg Olden, yeah, '07. So, uh, yeah, so you know, 
they they've had to do things differently than you know than you than like a Cleveland or or Orlando like who were able to get in the top in the, t- in the top three and strike it rich and other teams you know who have been able to do such as well but you know like the Bulls who who did it in 08 <laughs> but uh you know, right quick before we uh you know finish off and uh get uh, you know we'll do a do a do a little quick predictions on Warriors and um and and Dallas but uh you know at 18 the Bulls uh, I want to bring up a post by my man Rob Schaefer at uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, he actually outlined a few mock drafts, including uh, Ricky's at SB Nation. People who mentioning, you know, like say what where they think the Bulls could or should go at eighteen in this coming draft. Uh, ESPN, I put the link up too in our chat. But uh, ESPN has the Bulls going with Jeremy Sochan, I believe. How you pronounce that? A forward out of Baylor. Uh, the Ringer has the Bulls going guard with Malachi Branham from Ohio State. Uh, the Athletic has Tari Eason, a forward, a 6'8 forward from LSU. Uh, and uh, Sports Illustrated. I don't know if that's that's a guy woo, but uh, they have uh, Patrick Baldwin, who is a pretty uh, interesting story behind him. Uh, went to Milwaukee, was a top top uh, recruit coming out of high school. Went to the University of Milwaukee with his pops, and uh, that just didn't work out for either of them uh, up there. Uh, but uh, they have him going to the uh, Bulls at eighteen. CBS Sports has Walker Kessler, a big uh, rim protector, defensive player of the year in the a, a, uh, SEC. Oh, I didn't catch that. It says ACC in this post uh, <laughs> uh, from Auburn. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, what some of the talk is so far, uh, the early talk for the Bulls at, at 18. You know, any, any of those particular options? So you guys can speak more to the specifics of each prospect, but because there's probably going to be a there's a premium on wings in the league, uh, more so than big men, I would say. So if I'm the Bulls, I'm looking at one of these wings, uh, whether it's Eason or the kid from Baylor. That's who I'm kind of focusing my attention on. If I'm if I'm AK, if those guys are available. Uh, within that spot because you got to beef up that front court. And even though, um, you know, the the backcourt situation is a little in flux right now, I think you you would rather have a more experienced player coming in at that backcourt position where you, you can find maybe on a free agent market um, this summer. So that's what my head is. Okay, so, so you, you wouldn't want to risk putting a rookie in that all-important, you know, backup center position possibly. No, because like wings and bigs are kind of what everybody's looking for in, in the NBA in terms of kind of filling out their rosters, if that makes sense. So I don't know with the lack of resources that the Bulls have, if they're going to be able to lure some of those type of guys away from some of these other championship contending teams or teams that have more, more money to throw at those guys. So I'm, I'm looking at these wings um, first. And they kind of going off, going off 
uh, going off of that, moving on from there. Uh, Kessler seems like a, a a big time talent in terms of his rim potential, uh, rim protection potential. But um, I think I'd rather get another another kind of do it all, quote unquote, wing, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Gabe, what you think? Walker Kessler would be very interesting. He would be, to in my opinion, a safe pick um, because worst case scenario, you know, you're getting a, a high level wearing protector, a guy who can also stretch the floor and shoot a little bit as well. But I, I think he fits Milwaukee in a lot of ways, like especially with Brooke getting a little bit older. I think Brooke turned 35 this summer. That might be a guy that they have on their big boy rather high. There's so many directions that the Bulls can go with this pick, you know, whether it's a guard or a wing or a big. I mean, I, in my opinion, I, I'm, I'm a big Mark Williams guy. I think he, he would be a big um, guy here, and I think he would be a safe pick as well. But it's a guy that no one's talking about. And even though he's a guard, um, I think could be the steal of the draft. And he was a guy coming into this – year when he went to the G League he was looked at as a top five lock but for some odd reason his stock has gone down and I don't think it has anything to do with his play I don't think it has nothing to do with his work ethic I think it's more so politics than anything and that's Jaden Hardy um when I tell you this dude got league range can play out the pick and roll um can score the ball with the best of them He's a guy that if he ends up, and that's around the range in which the Bulls are picking, he end up with a playoff team, like let's say the Bulls, or like a, a playing team that could have been a playoff team, like the Cavs or Minnesota. Like that, that's a guy I would want to look at or at least give an interview if I was um AK and Mark, just to see what his mindset's like. Because at 18, you could get something good at 18. You get something real good. Um True. Just because you you outside the lottery, like sometimes you the guys that don't. I mean, think about Memphis. Desmond Bain was the last pick in the in, in the first round of the twenty twenty draft. Now look at Desmond Bain. Um, he's a high name now. He's one of the best young two guards in the league. So you can you can get some. It's a lot of directions they could go. I I, I would prefer uh more so a wing or a center. I don't think you go wrong with that. But if you want to go home run hunting, you can you can do that at eighteen. And with the way this Lonzo situation is looking, even though Jaden Hardy is more so of a two guard, um, you know, you 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 gotta you gotta look at that, especially even with Zach. You know, even though you think he's a lock to bring back, and I think he will be back, but you never know. So you know, that's just a guy that you gotta look at, in my opinion, for the Bulls. Okay, definitely. And you know, like like you, like you, like we said before when we were. You know, giving uh, Io his props. You know, the guys who are making those calls, you could they they know how to scout talent and they know how to get guys who maybe are a little bit overlooked or you know or you know whatever narratives you know narratives get pushed on these kids a lot in these drafts and you know for you know for some reason it makes people look overlook them. And, uh, but uh, you know the right the right guy the right team can make a difference and you know Io Io on the Bulls definitely made that difference this year and then you know they can maybe do it again uh, with this coming season with another rookie uh, you know it, it will make a it'll make a it, it, I think it'd be nice if they could find another you know 
real, another guy, a young guy who can contribute right away with a little bit more of an added maturity than than the typical 20, 19, 20-year-old or 21-year-old. They could do that again. They that could make a difference. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see though. We'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But uh we got this uh Western Conference game one uh, getting ready to tip off in San Francisco uh before we sign off here on Running with War. You know, what you guys uh you know uh your your final thoughts, you know, leading into this this game. Uh, uh is it Luca against the world or is it uh <laughs> You know, I guess that would probably be the main uh, storyline. But, you know, Golden State's going to be looking to reassert itself and show why it's back at this position. Uh, You know, we we pretty much know that. But, you know, can Dallas make the statement that it needs to make tonight to uh, possibly allow itself to compete uh, throughout this series? Man, I don't know, man. I feel like my head is telling me that when all else fails, I need to go with the experience of of the Golden State Warriors. But then there's a little voice in my head that's saying, man, but the best player in the series plays for the Mavericks, and the Mavericks got some defense, and the Mavericks got some shooters, and the Mavericks got a coach that nobody saw really doing what he did this year. So I really don't know what to make of this series, man. Um I don't know how they're going to go about defending Doncic. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if they start playing some sort of zone against against him because mm-hmm. while Jason Kidd can kind of orchestrate an offense where Doncic can look to attack certain guys on the Warriors, Steve Kerr has made it be known that it's not, not his type of thing. He's not necessarily going matchup hunting. He he is more of the, of the idea of, you know, he's going to kill you with – Ball move, ball and player movement. So I don't know, man. I I don't know where this goes. I I, I guess I'm gonna lean Warriors and seven. I guess, but I'm not confident. <laughs> I understand. Okay. Appreciate appreciate the series prediction as well, Drew. <laughs> I, I understand because you know why? It's like I told my homeboy who's um from Texas, Evan Sully, who's a big Mavs fan, and he do a lot of podcasts, um, you know, on Dallas sports and stuff. And we've been talking a lot over the years, and I always told him, be patient for this moment. And I'm like, they playing with house money now. Yeah. Dallas is playing with house money. They have nothing to lose. Um, The way the job that Jason Kidd has done with this team, uh, it's coach of the year esque in the second half, I must say, and and I I think that they they got a legitimate shot. I really do. I think I think that they can win the series in six games. Um, now and I understand the experience argument with Golden State. I get it. However, you know, they are undersized. They 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 don't have that big like they used to with an Andrew Bogut. Yeah. Or you know, most spades in the in the previous years, the David Lee's like they don't have that yeah. big get out rebounded. You know, if, if if Dallas bring the energy, they got a chance. If Spencer Dinwiddie can be consistent and, and showcase what he showed um, on Sunday night, knocking down threes, going head hunting, you know, seeking out Looney or whoever the big is that slew footed, they got a chance. And even though Steve Carter isn't is more of a ball movement guy. I do expect the Warriors, and I do expect Steph to um to hunt Luca. 
in a way similar to what they used to do in the conference finals when they matched up with um, Houston, they would always attack James and Chris, um, you know, as much as possible to make them work a little bit. So I, I think it will be a hell of a series, uh, but I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm really feeling Dallas. I'm feeling Dallas and I'm, I'm feeling Dallas in six games. Cause I think if, if Dallas get one game at the chase center between this one tonight or, or um, on Friday, they got a chance. Cause one thing about Dallas, the fans show up, and Lucas show up, and then role players show up. <laughs> they do. Well, yeah, that's I, I. I love I love that you you're going in different directions, guys. And I think I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with the uh, the experience, like Drew said, and probably say uh, go to state in six. But you know, I, I just think Golden State got a little bit got they got, they got more horses. And you know, uh, to be able to match them point for point in uh, throughout the entirety of the series, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Dallas to ask in this iteration. Uh, maybe next year they'll have some more some more guys who can come at a at, at Golden State in the way that they need. Maybe they'll have a maybe they'll get a little bit more size and have a, an advantage that way. But you know, I think uh, Golden State's going to just have a little bit more than Dallas can handle. And they'll uh, be able to finish them off in six or so, but uh, it, it should be a fun series, like y'all say. Uh, I don't think there's much of a disadvantage in the coaching ranks or anything. You know, I, I, I think this is a pretty this is a pretty good matchup, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how Dallas plays at this level. There's you no know, starting out pretty well, matching them, uh, you know, uh, basket for basket so far. But uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. But we'll have a couple games in uh, next time we all get together uh, early next week, so we'll be able to uh, get some reading at how things are going uh, in the series. So uh, keep up with us here on Running with War and War Media. Uh, you know all the uh, uh, platforms that we're on War on Anchor, our podcast platform. You'll be listening, be able to listen to. Uh, I'll upload the show from Tuesday tonight. And this one will be on our podcast platform not long after that. And, uh, of course, all our other shows coming up this week, Second City Sports, uh, That Davis Show, uh, At Bat. we got a new episode of At Bat, our baseball exclusive podcast. Check that out if you want to get the latest on the Sox and Cubs and uh, the MLB at large. And um, that's it for now, though. I'll let you guys watch this. I know your eyes are wanderings a little more so I'm gonna let you guys pay attention to to the game as I will as I will as well and uh like I said we'll be back uh sometime early next week with another running with war y'all stay good out there and uh keep bouncing